there's some uncertainty that we'll just need to be with. We just need to learn how to be with it. And perhaps you can embrace it, you know, because life would be really, really, really boring if everything was certain and you knew everything. It would just be very unexciting. Um, you know, you don't read the last page of the book first. You don't want to know the outcome of the game. You know, life is exciting because we have uncertainty. Welcome to Moving Dialogues. I'm Essie Augusta Vertanen, your host, and I created this podcast because I believe in dialogue. Dialogue is how we connect and share our stories. And our stories, well, they are our superpower. So I want to connect with you to share my own personal stories, but also introduce some incredible human beings and their powerful narratives that can move your heart, but also move you into action. I hope this podcast can also help you feel that you are not alone in whatever reality or struggle you might be facing and give you support from afar. I hope this podcast can also give you tools to help you keep connecting and keep moving no matter what. So let's connect and let's get moving. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the 10th, 10th episode of Moving Dialogues. I can't believe it's already the 10th episode. <laughs> this is actually going to be uh, the season finale. Um, I'm going to take a short break just to, um, you know, gather more stories, find more, even more unique and amazing stories for your way and, you know, prepare even more wonderful content for you guys. So this is the season finale. But I'm not going to be gone too long, so don't you worry. I just wanted to let you know that there will be a little short break. But I am so excited who I have on today for my season finale, um, Yannick Jacob. And I'm going to just jump right in to introduce him real quick. So he is a positive existentialist. If you wonder what that is, we're going to get to that in a moment. He's also a coach. He's a teacher, supervisor, writer, and really actually what I would call a multi-passionate entrepreneur. Having a profound interest to dive into the depth of human mind and its never-ending fascinations, Yannick moved from Germany to the UK to pursue first a degree in psychology, and then he also completed degrees in applied positive psychology and existential coaching. He's also written a book, An Introduction to Existential Coaching, which actually makes Yannick my first author guest in the show, which is exciting. Um, but yeah, just to kind of say like how I have come across Yannick is it's from various situations and places. First of all, that he was a lecturer at UEL, has done the same program in applied positive psychology as I have. So I've seen his face there and learned his name. He's worked with the people that I know. He's, his name just keeps popping up everywhere. I've also edited his article one time about existential coaching, which is like the really the first time that I really got to connect with his voice. And since, because he's been popping up in these various places and due to this multi-passionate like nature that he has, I was like, I have to talk to this person one day and you know just recently about like two months ago I reached out to him saying like I want to connect I'm done with my you know uh, you know positive psychology program I just want to have have a conversation with him and I'm just so excited Yannick that you're here thank you for being here I'm just so stoked <laughs> I'm really stoked to be here as well with you I love your energy and uh, from the very first time we connected I'm like oh there's there's a there's a real curiosity behind here. There's a real energy. There's a real, uh, 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 it's, it's the kind of map, the map CP vibe, you know, uh, there's so many people um, in that kind of field that are just uh, they're excited about figuring out what's right with people and how we can, you know, navigate life in a positive way. So I'm, I like that. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, I'm, I, I so agree. There's definitely this unique factor that all of us, I mean, it's positive psychology. There is this level of not just positivity, but like you said, <laughs> curiosity and just wanting to just get to know people and everyone wants to connect with each other. And what do you do? <laughs> and I'm just super excited to have you here. Um, mm. Yeah. And by the way, there's this overlap between science and people, you know, because positive psychology is a, is a science. So people are naturally curious because they're, 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 you know, there's a research element to it. But then at the same time, it really gets people to connect. So I, I love that overlap because science can be a bit dry. And uh, sometimes the, the people industries can be a bit uh, lacking the kind of grounding uh, that I appreciate about academia. So it's, it's nice to bring them together. It is. And I, and I love that because 
it's actually and, and me coming from journalistic background and I think doing this podcast now is like a combination well for me doing journalism interviewing but then also mm-hmm. you know you bringing in your science you've learned but then also you know the the heart of journalism stories like and mm-hmm. that's really the what I do this podcast is stories to hear your story and 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 your wisdom and so it's kind of the combination of journalism science mm-hmm. and stories and all of that together which is super lovely but but I want to like go go back to the moment that when I first came across you because and it's interesting because it was at Alfred Langle's like existential analysis event at Birkbeck, <laughs> like in the spring of 2019, I think it was. Do you yeah, remember, remember that? Do you? I, I remember because uh, I saw that Alfred Langle is going to be here and the event was free. And I also saw that it's like an introduction to existential analysis. And I'm, I mean, I, I kind of beyond the existential uh, introduction, but I really wanted to meet Alfred because uh, at the time, he, he there's not much written about existential coaching. At the time, there was uh, three books and mine was one of them. And uh, no, uh, four. And uh, one was in German. And that was by Alfred Lengle um, uh, and, and one of his colleagues in Switzerland. So I really wanted to meet him. Um, and so in the break, I went up and said, I got to tell you a secret. I'm not really here for the course you're introducing. I'm here to meet you because, you know, we have something in common. <laughs> That's <laughs> so amazing. He, he's a lovely man. He speaks fluent Spanish. So my wife was delighted and uh, they had a little chat. Um, it was nice. He's just a, such a nice human being. And then, you know, we met. Yeah. And and that's the thing, because like, did we, did I actually, I think I said hi to you, because I can't, like, I remember seeing him. Oh, that is Yanni, because I had already yeah. heard about you from UEL. But like, do you remember, like, did yeah, actually- you came up just after I spoke to Alfred and she's like, oh, hey, uh, you know, Yannick. And I don't remember quite what we talked about, because I think I was still like buzzing from the Alfred energy. Yeah, you were, you were. <laughs> could tell I was just like quickly like sneaking in hey just wanted to introduce myself yeah that was the first time that I you know met you and it's it's just interesting you know universe and its connections they happen to be about you know existentialist views and um Mm -hmm. and that's kind of really what I really am excited to hear your views on because like you said that you're like oh there at the time there were three books of existential coaching and yours were one of them so listeners like we have a very unique person here with very unique views and and this is like a very kind of a newer field and if you're interested Mm. in coaching or you have you know tried coaching or you want to try coaching you you never know maybe existential kind of coaching might be for you so i'm super excited to learn from you so Mm. kind of to start with then if you you call yourself positive existentialist so what i'm understanding is that it's really the combination of you know that you are a positive psychology practitioner and then you also do the existential coaching Mm -hmm. and that kind of comes together is that kind of the thing can you tell a little bit more about that yeah so it's uh uh, as you said, my, my, I came into psychology and then I kind of fell into positive psychology just because uh, I was really curious about this one positive psychology master's that I heard about in Pennsylvania. And then my module leader at the time was Ilona Bonneville, who had founded the second master's in positive psychology in the world that happened to be at my university. And she ran uh, my undergraduate module. And I'm like, hey, can you tell me a bit more about this? And she's like, well, there's another one now here with me and we're starting in September. I'm like, oh, I'm going to do that then. Uh, because I was I was researching flow at the time uh, for my undergraduate dissertation. So it was, um, yeah, it made perfect sense. So I had my positive psychology lens on for some time um, when I found a, the existential framework. Um, the motivation behind this is that a lot of positive psychologists I felt were a little bit too positive. And I say that quite often. Um, I, there's, there's a lot of really thorough researchers who really um, integrate the field and uh, positive psychology was always there to complete psychology. But I think there was a lot of people out there who kind of separated positive psychology and only focused on resources. And in some cases, that's really, really helpful. And that really, really works. Um, but I felt that it wasn't enough for the way that I wanted to work. I wanted to go deeper. I wanted to uh, explore the foundations of what it means to be human in the world with other people. You know, life is really challenging and tough and it throws all of these curveballs at you. Um, it's, uh, it's difficult to be human, you know, because we carry around all of these dilemmas and anxiety and, you know, paradoxes. We, we want 
different things at the same time that are mutually exclusive. You know, we want to be long, we want to be individual, we want to be sure before we make choices, but the world is inherently uncertain. You know, so there's all of these experiences that we go through that are difficult as a human being. And I wanted a coaching framework uh, to understand people in that way that appreciates how difficult life can be. So that's why I found existentialism. Uh, and it made sense to me immediately. Once you translate the kind of convoluted, uh, difficult to understand complex literature that often um, represents existential ideas, um, they're tangible. They're, everybody can relate to them. Everybody gets existentialism uh, when, when, you, uh, when you start laying it out in you know, normal language and in human experience, normal examples of what people go through every day. You know, dealing with uncertainty, dealing like asking questions around meaning, um, you know, um, being faced with endings, um, death as the ultimate ending. Existentialists love to talk about death, you know, but it's endings. And it can feel a bit dark when you start learning about it. It's like, oh, these existentialists, they, they, they sit in their French cafe smoking gulois and uh, talk about how meaningless life is and how everybody's going to die. Um, but because I had my positive psychology lens on, I immediately felt it was super liberating. You know, I, I, saw, I saw the positive in the existentialist uh, framework. And if you talk to an existentialist, you know, if they're not on the kind of nihilism end of the spectrum, they usually tell you that this is an inherently quite positive uh, philosophy because it, it, it is so empowering because it, it's, uh, it's not dependent on everything else. It gives people the, the power to, to be in charge of where their life is going if they're willing to take the responsibility. You know? So there's a lot more to say, but, but I'm, I'll pause there for a minute um, just to kind of point out that's the, that's the fusion for me, the integration of existentialist ideas with uh, elements of positive psychology, which you know, was my background coming into this. Yeah, I absolutely love that because because that's the thing, and 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 for many who haven't studied positive psychology or might not be that familiar with it, it's people think it's this happyology, <laughs> happyology positivity. When in fact, actually, I mean, positive positive psychology in a natural is all about it's about well being, like you said, what's right with people. So positive psychology obviously came into, you know because the traditional psychology looks into like what's wrong with people and how can we you know, deal with illnesses mm -hmm. and all these tough things, the positive psychology in the other mm -hmm. end of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. But also what I think I loved about the fusion of existentialism is that, and what I loved about like how you're really passionate about helping your clients to develop a life that you're really the full spectrum of human experience. It's kind of more holistic way of mm. almost looking at it. So the positive psychology looks at the well-being, maybe character strengths and, and, and happiness and all these things, but then the existential brings that, you know, also the darker sides of life. But actually, as we know, the second wave of positive psychology that's come out mm -hmm. is that no people, it's not just about happiness and, and all these positive emotions. Mm -hmm. It's a part of it, but it's also recognizing post-traumatic growth you know, when you go through a loss, how do you grow mm -hmm. after that resilience, you know, also these very tough parts of mm -hmm. life. And I don't know, do you want to touch on yeah. that a little bit? Yeah. And I think that was really, really important, uh, not just for me, but also for positive psychology as a field. Um, I remember uh, reading the first articles of Paul Wong um, that came out around 2010, 2011. I only read them years later because I didn't know they existed. Um, I had just finished studying positive psychology at the time and I kind of got into the existential field and I kind of started to make some of those links quite naturally. And then I, I read Paul Wong's work and I'm like, oh my God, this is like, this is how I would have wanted to phrase it, but I, I kind of, you know, academically, I didn't quite have the language for that. And then uh, it was really important to have those early pioneers and um, colleagues of mine from the University of East London, Itai uh, Iftsan and Tim Lomas, Kate Heffer and Piers Worth. They started writing about uh, bringing together, like illuminating, including integrating the darker sides of life, as you say, and as they call it in the subtitle of the book, um, to, to bring it into the positive psychology field and call that the second way for positive psychology 2.0. And um, that, that looks at dialectics, that looks at what are negative emotions useful for? Um, how, can we, how can we integrate the whole enchilada, as, uh, as Robert Biswastinus and, and Todd Kashtan called it? You know, how can we look at 
people holistically throughout the spectrum of what they're going through. Because like sometimes a really well-functioning CEO has a major life crisis, you know, and it's, it, you can't just uh, uh, make that go away with three good things and uh, developing a gratitude habit. You know, sometimes you need to ask very different questions and really unravel some of this human condition. And uh, that's generally where a lot of positive psychology practitioners stop. And given that I, I was always interested in psychotherapy and counseling and to have those, you know, conversation at depth and about who am I, big questions, not just how can I be happy, but who am I, where do I belong, uh, how, what's the point in living, you know, um, well, if everything ends, why, well, how do I navigate life, you know, how can I make decisions, um, oh what's right, God. what's wrong? These are all questions that deeply matter to people. And I'm quite big picture. So um, for me, that's a natural place I go. But I realized when I started coaching, a lot of people don't go to these places. They just kind of live life by the day or by the week or by the month or by the quarter, perhaps by the year. But like there's so there's a level of depth, there's questions there that are incredibly important. If we ask ourselves those questions while life is relatively okay, when we're not in a deep crisis and we can't cope, we can build what I call existential resilience. You know, that's one of those meeting points between the two. When you think about death and endings, your own and people you know, or, you know, uh, endings of a job or uh, a degree, or, you know, if you ask those questions around meaning and identity, early while you're well functioning and well able to cope with life, you can, you'll be better prepared. You know, they'll still affect you when somebody dies close to you, it'll affect you, you know, it'll affect you deeply, but you can uh, avoid some of the, some of the struggle, some of the falling into that, that sometimes it can feel as if life pulls the rug underneath your feet and you're in free fall, you know? And I think if you've considered some of those deeper questions, then you can find your footing much quicker because you've already asked questions around meaninglessness and absurdity. And perhaps you considered the option of maybe this doesn't make sense. Maybe this doesn't have to make sense. Maybe it's okay if some things are absurd, you know, and if you've come to that conclusion, I think something like the current pandemic, it's much easier to sit with because you can consider, you can stop making sense of absolutely everything and that's really helpful. It can really ease us. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, there's so much I want to touch on there. I'm like, where do I go? Where do I go? Th that's the thing, like th those themes of like, and you mentioned obviously, you know, 2020 and, and the pandemic and that like ex existential resilience and obviously, well, a few things like, obviously there's been so much loss this year for many and I can like, mm. let's touch on that a little bit. I also want to touch on the uncertainty. So I'll put that in there um, so you can, but maybe naturally go there. But like that, I love that existential resilience because it's like so many people, some people have lost their jobs. Some people have maybe lost lost loved ones or, you know, right. or like any normal life stuff like breakups or, or divorce or whatever. Mm. Like, how would you say, like, how have you witnessed that in your work this year? Or like, how do you think that kind of, that concept in itself and how mm. you've witnessed that in people this year, has it changed? Like, what have you observed in people mm. in that area? Yeah, first of all, the the amount of of loss has been incredible. You know, um, certainly in my lifetime, um, there's there's not been a time globally where more people were affected by loss, and loss is a form of endings. Um, so when we talk about endings, um, I can I could really pick up my clients' relationships, not just clients, you know, friends, my own as well. Uh, our relationship with endings, our relationship with losing something, our relationship with things finishing, you know, and that might be somebody's life or it might be your job or it might be your whole industry. I have a lot of friends in the events industry and there's no events, you know, and uh, so that whole industries have just collapsed. There's just nothing going on. And that brings up a lot of questions around identity. Who am I? without my job? Who am I without my industry? Who am I without my partner or my friend? You know, with a, who am I without the certainty that I'm safe? And some people crumble under that. And as I say, for some people, they find themselves falling. And some of them will not be able to engage in coaching because they're just, they're just, there's just nothing there. And they need to like, just hold on to something and catch themselves again. You know, and others I have uh, seen move on quite quickly. 
you know, accepting that maybe life is not as stable as, you know, I would like it to be, having come to an acceptance that life sometimes just completely changes and that some things are completely unpredictable. And these things happen. Um, for example, uh, every virologist will, ha will have told you that this was inevitable. Maybe, maybe you couldn't predict it exactly what's going to happen, but I mean, a whole, whole book chapters have been written predicting a lot of what's happened, you know, that it would come from China and that it would lead to those kind of collapses and that people like uh, whole countries would go on lockdown and that it would have economic effect, you know, but we, we tend to, we'd, we'd like to not actually be aware of that because, you know, we don't want to live in fear or be worried or concerned. Um, so the people who had considered those questions and had the courage to actually open their eyes towards these kind of uncomfortable possibilities that something like this might happen, um, they tend to have recovered emotionally, recovered much quicker, you know, and those people found it easier to move on. You know, it's like, oh, my industry has collapsed. I guess I'm going to have to do something different. And then they do it, you know, rather than grieving the loss right now, starting now, they somewhat started the grieving process already. You know, it's like when you, when you fall in love with somebody and a little part of you is already said that this might not work out or that at some point they'll die. You know, it's a, it's a weird uh, feeling to be super infatuated and in love. And at the same time, already a little sad that this period of being infatuated, this, this early days of butterflies in the stomach, you know, that will change. It will evolve. It might pass and it might end. You know, and I think the people who are aware of this, they, they, they live, they experience differently the world because they don't allow themselves in some way to be fully immersed in a purely positive experience. You know, fully, when I say positive, I mean, uh, um, like pleasant, um, they have that part of them that is aware of the endings of all things, which can make us sometimes a bit melancholic, but I think we live more real. And I think we we'll, we have a richer experience, and we're more prepared for when things happen. Yeah, and I and I think that's the thing, like about because that's the thing, like well, death—it's a natural ending, life mm -hmm. ends. But then, like like with any ending, it's losing a job or anything. It's like, and I love what you said about like acceptance and like the how if people have kind of had these kind of reflective questions of like okay, oh, I lost a job. Who am I now? Like these kind of very existential of like, okay, what's my meaning? What's my purpose now? What am I mm -hmm. doing? Um, mm -hmm. Is that like, I love that because like, you also talked about grief and acceptance. So I want to touch on that a little bit. Like if, if someone is going through this now and they feel like, uh, like, oh, am I like, kind of grieving, accepting, like what tips would you give for them to kind of deal with that time of like how mm -hmm. to go about it? Because I really feel like you, like you have to really grieve sit with it, feel it. This just like comes from me, like sit with it, yeah. feel it out, you know, have your ice cream or whatever. If you're broken up from someone, whatever, like really feel <laughs> it. Like you have to really feel it before and grieve it before you can, you can accept it. But like, what would be your take on that? Like any tips? Yeah. Um, I'm hesitant to give tips on grieving, you know, grieving the loss of life because grief is a different beast. I think um, it, it's the extreme end of the spectrum to mourn loss. Um, and I, it, I mean, I have uh, had my fair share of endings in life, but uh, I haven't, for example, lost a partner or um, a very close friend um, or a parent yet. Um, so I've talked to a lot of people who have been grieving and it's it's not something that we can imagine if it hasn't happened to us. And also the feeling of it is so subjective um, that uh, as a coach, I, I, I tend to not work with, with bereavement, you know. But when it comes to endings and your relationship with endings, we can definitely explore that, mm -hmm. you know. But in my experience, when somebody's lost somebody very close to them, or they're, they're at that stage of bereavement, and this could be an industry, if somebody's so affected, there's a threshold where I can feel if somebody's coming for a consultation and I feel they're in this bereavement hole right now, they need a different uh, service, you know, they need a different relationship. And that's, that's therapy or counseling. You know, they need a space where they can do the grieving. It's so important to grieve and not just move on and distract yourself. You know, Absolutely. when it's something like a job, a job can affect somebody like the loss of a loved one. 
You know, if that job meant the absolute world for you and you've spent 30, 40 years, you know, developing a relationship with that job, you know, then, then that can feel similar. And I don't want to take away somebody's experience of grief. Um, but if it's, if it's, if that threshold isn't overstepped, you know, there's a lot of conversations we can have. And at first we would explore what, what does that mean to you? You know, and then have you had significant endings before? Does it remind you of anything? You know, what helped you back then? But uh, in that narrative of uh, exploring somebody's relationship with endings, you, you figure out how do they relate to it? You know, um, I, had a, I had a partner once who, who could barely walk next to a cemetery, you know, because it would remind her that her mom is going to die at some point. And it was very clear that, you know, if, if the kid's goldfish would die, it wouldn't die. It would go on holiday. And so would grandma, you know? Mm. And I'm like, I, I think I would want to have those conversations early that, you know, endings are a very natural part of life. And in fact, they're not just natural and we need to accept and manage them, but they're actually what provides meaning for the time when it isn't ending. If something's, if it would never end, it wouldn't really have the same uh, quality of meaning. Only because things end are they meaningful. You know? So in that sense, we can uh, embrace it. I love that. And, and something just came to, came to me in that that really resonated is that, I don't know if you've, you know, but I, I lost my brother in 2017 to suicide, which was actually the one that like led me to positive psychology, led me to really care about why are these mental health issues happening, especially in higher education, because he was in higher education mm -hmm. at that time. And I was, I did a couple of, um, well, one story about a lacrosse player at my university in my undergrad who, who died of suicide as well, which was actually a month before my brother died, which was like weird wow. connection there. Like me doing a story on that kind of loss and ending that they lost a, you know, teammate, someone lost their son, friend, you know, like, and then I went through that personally. But what you said about meaning, if my brother had not died in the way, I would not be having this conversation with you today. Mm -hmm. I would have not done MAPCP. I would have, <laughs> my, my life would have probably been, you know, gone completely different path. Is that, and that's the thing how I found that, you know, I've had to grieve and, you know, we, part of us all, always will grieve a little bit, but you know mm -hmm. that, but I'm, you know, everything happens for a reason. That's my personal belief. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when these worst things happen, but, but there is a reason. And that's the thing, like, and I have him to thank every day that you led me to my purpose, that I still have mm -hmm. the drive to help higher mm -hmm. education students, young millennials and younger yeah. people that, hey, actually life doesn't need yeah. to be overwhelming. And actually this uncertainty we're having right yeah. now, and I'm in it, I just graduated, like the uncertainty. Yeah. And we had a discussion with you before about the ups and downs and figuring out life, but it's all part of the journey mm. and like healing and growth. But that's yeah. the thing, like when we go through loss of a job, loss of love, whatever loss or ending, actually the ending can be a beginning. The ending is always a beginning. It's uh, by definition, every ending is a beginning and every beginning needs an ending. You know, when somebody comes to coaching and they said, I want to change, um, there's an ending there, you know, and it's difficult for people to change because of it, because they have to let go of the person that they were. Even if it's a minor change, there's always an ending. And um, it reminded me, like when it happens quite often when you ask people that experience significant loss or significant suffering, significant hardship. If you ask them 10 years later, um, most of them will tell you that was a meaningful experience in some way. You know, it is still horrendous and it was very painful and it, it, the worst part of my life perhaps. But... I wouldn't be the person I am today if it wasn't for that. I wouldn't have written the book or done the course or met the person if it wasn't for that period of hardship and challenge. You know, I wouldn't want to go back there, but I wouldn't want it to not have happened at least to some extent, you know, because it would be very different. Uh, but then I'm saying that, and sometimes it's so painful that you definitely would have wanted that not to happen, you know, and this is where, where we walk into the trauma space. You know, yeah. there's, so I, I want to uh, have a distinguished view on that. It's more complex than every period of suffering has inherent meaning inside. 
But we talked about Alfred Lengler earlier, and uh, I presented at a conference alongside him this summer, and he his talk was entitled, Meaning is Always Possible. And it is so true. And Viktor Frankl talked about this. He talked about this. When something that's really difficult and really challenging and really painful happens, meaning is always possible. We can always attach meaning and find meaning and create meaning in the way that we relate to it. You know, it's almost impossible for there not to be some sort of meaning-making process because that's what people do. But I think what people often underestimate is what an active part we can play in that process. And that's why talking therapies and or coaching can be so, so, so important to help somebody take charge of that process and guide the process in a way that they feel this could be a meaningful experience. Not a nice experience, but a meaningful one. I, I love that you touched on that because that's where I wanted to move on next actually was about the 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 concept of meaning in life that's very, very huge in, in your field of work. And also it's a big thing in positive side, both positive psychology and, and your ex- existential coaching. How have you like considering this year, and we, we now talked about different kind of losses people have gone through and this whole year of 2020 and the pandemic. How do you think like, you know, thinking of the time when we were, People were in quarantine, self-isolating in a very unnatural way of environment. And, you know, you're in that solitude and people, you know, people had the space, you know, and time <laughs> to start really asking those kind of big questions. Have you, have you seen any of this or witnessed this happening a lot more? And just in general, what have you observed in the people you work with, how people have started really yeah. searching for that meaning uh, this year? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, At first, when, I mean, I was on honeymoon in February in Japan, which is now kind of imaginable, unimaginable. Um, There were, we had like two cases in Hokkaido and there was that cruise liner um, that wasn't, you know, that was uh, quarantined already. So we're like, I think it's okay to go in Tokyo. Everybody's wearing face masks on a Tuesday. But like as the news hit more and more and we realized we're in Kyoto and like there's 70% less tourists because they're usually Chinese and they're not here. We're like, this is going to be serious. Um, so I, I, at some point thought, well, what's going to happen to my coaching business? You know, because I could imagine, I could have imagined both, uh, scenarios, one where people just don't have money. And the first thing that they cut out of their, out of, out of their life is learning and development. That's where you would save first, you know, because it's, most people don't consider it vital. You know, you're looking at food and rent. So I'm like, that could be a serious hit. But the other time, uh, at the same time, I thought I can definitely see a scenario that that in fact happened where people are on furlough and people sit at home and they ask, they have time to ask themselves questions. You know, they can't work. And uh, in developed countries, a lot of countries have, uh, have supported um, people. And we were actually able here in the UK, I mean, we got 80% of our salaries uh, if we couldn't work, you know, and that, that's amazing. But it also means people spend a lot more time with themselves and people spend a lot of time with their families, a lot, of, a lot more time than they perhaps used to. You know, and there was a, a lot of, uh, what happened a lot is that people spend time with themselves, they sit with themselves they run out of distractions. Work can be a phenomenal distraction. Um, going to the pub with your mates can be a phenomenal distraction. You know, meeting up people for coffee and gossiping is a phenomenal distraction. So a lot of these distractions were just not there anymore. And that's the time when we become a bit more still. That's the time when we ask ourselves many of these existential questions. You know, how many clients did I have that said, well, I've done sales for 30 years and I like realized very clearly right now that I don't really like sales and what the hell am I doing with my life? And also maybe I don't like my partner. I'm kind of estranged from my kids. I don't really know them. Um, You know, and then, well, who am I? Uh, You know, we mentioned that who am I without my job? Like all of my self-worth perhaps and my status came from this job and now it doesn't exist anymore. And maybe the whole industry will change. You know, maybe I want to do something else. And if I want to do something else, then who am I? So a lot of these questions came up and as an existential coach, I really appreciate that because it's an important question to ask yourself. So I see a lot of positive in, you know, even when people lost a lot, you know, at least they got uh, the chance 
to choose very consciously who they want to be going forward, what they want to do going forward. And yet it's tough. It's tough for a lot of people. But I, I do think there's a lot of value in asking those questions now and not in 10 years or in 20 years or in five years. Absolutely. And and that's interesting that you you mentioned about choices as well, because, and you just said, like, if someone is in that kind of position um, and they've had those questions come up and they are, you know, <laughs> they've been indoors, lock, lockdown and thinking of all those things, is that like, and I think this is very, and I really want to talk, this is one of my questions. I really want to want to get this question in is that there's this kind of decision paralysis, choice paralysis, what do we want to name it? Especially like on millennials that I could do anything. I could be anything. And that's the great thing about living in the, in the century that anything is possible. Like you, you can literally do anything and you can work from home and you know how we've adapted this year, like anything is possible. But if someone is having those big questions of, you know, oh, like, who am I? How, how do I want to actually show up in the world? Like, what would you want to tell them or any tools or any tips on like, it's like, I really don't know, like, what next? And oh, like, am I almost that like paralysis? Am I making the right choice or wrong choice? Like, oh, what am I doing? You're smiling. So I see that you know exactly what I'm speaking about. I'd love yeah. to hear your thoughts on that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm a late millennial myself. And uh, we do come from a generation of uh, having had at least the illusion that anything is possible. I do think there there's limits uh, to what's possible. Um, but certainly the internet has changed so much because uh, I'm from the generation that didn't have internet when we grew up. I, I got my first phone when I was like maybe 14 or 15 or something. Same. Um, I, I didn't have internet on my phone until uh, I was, uh, I, I had just finished MAP. Uh, so that was 2010. Um, I was teaching. I was teaching DJing and well-being at a school. That was a cool time of my life. Um, but I had uh-huh. three three students who wanted to learn how to scratch, and the music department allowed me to bring my turntables in and teach scratching, which is awesome. Um, but I remember the kids making fun of me that I didn't have YouTube on my phone. <laughs> so um, I think uh, the emergence of the internet has shown us a gazillion more possibilities of how people live life and engage with life. Often kind of a brushed up version of it because you tended to only see the best of people on the internet, uh, but you also see the worst of people. But when it comes to skills and becomes to people's best lives, you know, it's, it's all out there in the most polished version. And I think when we see that, um, it can become difficult because it, it uh, brings to our awareness, um, well, this awareness of uh, all of these possible futures all of these possible versions of myself, they're out there. And all of these stories that if you really want to live that lifestyle, you can. And I made it happen. And these five people made it happen. And you can do too. You know, the kind of NLP tenet. If, if one person has done it, anybody can do it. You know, and I would really, it's a really attractive thing to believe in because it empowers people and it, it gets people to really pursue their dreams. You know, we tend to not hear so much about all the people who given up on their dreams after they've tried for 20 years. You know, um, they are also out there, but they don't make for that great testimonials. So um, <laughs> I, I do believe that people can generally achieve a lot more than they might admit to themselves um, because it's scary. But the main thing existentially is that once we commit to one version of ourselves, to one lifestyle, to one path, then we exclude a lot of others. You know, all the others we exclude as soon as we commit and choose one particular one. You know, it doesn't mean that at some point we can't change and, you know, do something different. We don't have to commit forever and eternity, you know. But what we what we do choose today, we have chosen today, even if we make a different choice tomorrow. You know, that's that you can never really go back in time and make a different choice. And some of these choices you cannot ever take back. You know, some things that we say you cannot ever unsay. You know, uh, if you choose to commit to a coach or you choose to commit to a degree, you choose to commit to a job and you sign a piece of paper and you commit for three years, maybe there's a way out of it, but like there's significant loss involved if you change your mind. So that's why decisions are so scary because, you know, you cannot be certain that it's the right one. 
and you cannot know how things are going to turn out. So all we need is to commit and really uh, take the responsibility for those commitments. You know, take responsibility for when it goes well, but also take responsibility for when it's not going well. And up until my 20s, I just kind of drifted along. I called myself a dynamic drifter. I had a, I had a, I, I was pretty confident that this positive psychology, coaching psychology stuff, it'll work out. People will always want to work on themselves. So I had a, I had a good sense that this will go somewhere. But I didn't have a five or ten year plan. I just kind of took every day as it happened. You know, I just said yes to opportunities. But that meant that I didn't really give myself a lot of credit for when things worked out well, because they just kind of happened, and I just kind of went along with it. As soon as I started to commit to a certain path and pursue opportunities and create opportunities, all of a sudden I was able to celebrate successes and wins and where I've gotten to in the past two years because I worked hard on it, you know. And it's not that one style of navigating the world is better than the other. I absolutely loved my 20s when I didn't really commit, you know, when I just kind of drifted along. It was awesome because I, I didn't, I didn't have that responsibility weighing on my shoulders, but it also didn't get the payoffs for taking responsibility. And so one was kind of carefree, but a bit more meaninglessness and I struggled with focus. And uh, nowadays I have all the meaning and the focus, but also the anxiety that comes with committing to something and not knowing whether it's going to work out in the way that you'd imagined. Yeah. And and I love all that you said, because that, I think that would be really wonderful for listeners to know that you can go about life certain way like you did. You were just drifting away, kind of going with the flow, seeing what happened. And then now you're like, okay, now I have more of a plan and and structure and focus. And both Mm -hmm. served you well. It served you well at the time. And I think what came to me about what you said was that when people think like, oh, no, that was the wrong choice. Like, oh, I regret that. What's the point of regretting? Because we can't change them, like you said. Like you can't mm-hmm. change what you decided in the past. But like at that time mm-hmm. when you made that decision and choice, mm-hmm. it felt right for some reason that you went along yeah. with it. And yeah. and in my coaching, um, the kind of the connection bit, which kind of really in positive psychology, what we call a hey, let's focus on your holistic well-being, how you're doing, like in, in all the realms of your well-being. Because when you feel good then you can Mm -hmm. also start doing good and you can start Mm -hmm. moving and acting towards whatever you want to get. But also when you connect within, you start finding the answers. Like, oh, I don't know what to do next. I don't know. Oh my God, I I could do this, 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 this. Like, calm down. Let's connect. (laughs) Let's focus on your feeling good and also being present. And it sounds like like you were going with the flow, taking opportunities in. Mm -hmm. And that was me after my undergrad. When I was done 2017, December, with my journalism degree, then I got one year to work in, in, in the States. I was, what am I going to do? I just got into the car, went to LA, and I ended up staying for 10 months. I didn't have money. I didn't have a job. I didn't have a place to live. I just went there, and it just worked out. Just went with the flow. I've always been a planner, you know, structure, focus, mm-hmm. but I just flowed. But that's yeah. the thing. Like, that actually ended up me like serving me so well at that time. It's mm-hmm. like, it, 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 that's the thing. It's good to go both ways. Yeah. You don't have... When, when somebody, uh, if you were have, uh, if would have gone to LA and it would have been the shittest time, <laughs> you know, it just been pure struggle and nothing worked out. And you came back after 10 months, kind of beaten, you know, uh, lots of experiences, but not nice ones. I think that would have been still very meaningful, you know, and I think Absolutely. people, people put themselves into a future and like see it as a failure if it didn't work out. You know, and as we as we touched on earlier, there's always a meaningful experience in there unless we refuse to learn from it and integrate it into our worldview and into the person that we become. You know, so many people are terrible with their self-talk. You know, they beat themselves up and they torture themselves for having made the wrong decision. You know, it, it, it's like, yes, some decisions can be objectively uh, the ones who led to a lesser, uh, less ideal outcome. You know, some decisions in retrospect, you're like, oh yeah, that was, that was definitely a bad outcome. That was a bad decision, you know, but at the time I can assume that everybody would choose as best as they can. You know, maybe you would have wished you would have taken some more time to do some more research or talk to more people before making the decision. But at the time you made the choice. So you can only ever go forward and learn from it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, that's the thing, like, and also those ones would be like, oh, that was a wrong choice. Oh, that was a very bad outcome. But that's the thing, like, and and I say this very often, it comes from Ed Milet is like, everything happens for me, not to me. 
So even mm. like, okay, you do fail, or like, oh, that was a very, very bad outcome, or oh, that didn't go really well, and whatever, like those kind of negative experiences. But also, that's what I like to challenge these days: negative experiences, loss or pain or sadness. Is like, no, but there's also potential. That's like the first episode of how mm. I how I started this podcast is that all, and, and that might actually be of interest to you to listen if you haven't. It's very kind of like, you know, everything that happens is, can be potential in disguise. Even like the hardships and the, the hard thing, that's potential in disguise. And if you look through that lens, oh, I'd made that bad choice. Oh, that wasn't the right choice. Well, it was the right choice at the time, but also it was the choice you were meant to make to become who you meant to become today. <laughs> so often like if, oh, that was very bad. Like, oh, I went to law school for years and then I actually don't want to do it which happens and it's like you've committed so long and then you don't want it. But because you did that all those years, there's something in those learnings of what you've been through that will serve you in like maybe one single moment or many moments that, oh, because I was a lawyer, I now can do this much better and I can run my mm-hmm. own business or whatever. You know, like everything. So not seeing like, oh my God, I, oh, I, I fucked up part of my language. It's like, no, like take that. What was that fuck up? Mm-hmm. What can you learn from it? What's the potential there? What was the learning? Yeah. So you can... Take that in your backpack and move forward, like you said. Yeah, and I think this is where the perspective that we bring into it is so valuable because we can actually meet people and not just say, no, you're viewing the world wrong. You know, you need to see it like this, which I I think uh, some over-jealous, over-jealous? No, over, what's the jealous? The the kind of Mm. over-motivated, zealous Zealous? Anyway, that's a word somewhere. Um, uh, positive psychologists would, or people who are meaning well, say, no, you should see the world in a different perspective. And I think that's why coaching is so valuable because we can just be curious. You know, we're not saying, no, that's wrong. We say, so what's good about this situation? You know, how does this serve you? What have you learned? You know, tell me about it. And through that exploration, people start to create new meanings. New meanings emerge when you explore these situations with people. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can start pointing out, just by the way we see the world, we start picking up on some of those elements that uh, bear meaning inside of them. You know? And if we feed that back, it's like, oh, that, that does sound like, I mean, it sounds horrible and it sounds horrendous what you've experienced. I, it also sounds that it was quite a meaningful experience because from what you've just told me, it led to this and it led to that. And you seem to have learned so much and you seem to have all of this appreciation for life. You know, the, the post-traumatic growth literature in, in, in positive psychology is, is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. You know, people develop stronger relationships, uh, um, more gratitude towards life and appreciation, you know, a new outlook very often, new meaning frameworks. Yeah. Um, there's so much that can that has potential, not all the time, not always, you know, there is post-traumatic stress and that's a thing, but post-traumatic growth uh, exists on a, on a different continuum. You know, it's not the opposite of post-traumatic stress. It's a, it's, it's its own thing. And you can, you can bring it out in people when you engage in that kind of dialogue. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah. And then it's like, and what you were saying about like, I don't know why this came to me, but I had a I had a client recently that it was really about this whole, like, what do I do now? I'm like, I need to figure out what's next. I need to figure out what's next. I need to figure out what's next. And then, and like you talked about the power of coaching. That's where I'm linking this to is that mm-hmm. the power of coaching, how, you know, some people might, oh, I made the wrong choice. Like, oh, I didn't do this in the past or something. But like having a moment in coaching of saying is that, hey, you're thinking what next, what next, what next? But like, how would you regret, like, you know, in a year, like, you don't know if you might be able to stay in the country, I have to go home, or you might go to Canada, you might go there or there, you don't know. But how would you feel if you're now like, you were just worried about this whole thing, and you're not actually making the most of this time that you have here. Mm-hmm. And you know, yeah. that, that look when that changes, you just, that aha, like, oh my God, I haven't thought about that. And you can, the power of coaching and a question, how that can mm. be like, change that they might've made a choice. They worried about something, but the thing they can make that choice of like, Oh, I am going to be grateful and appreciate and be more present and not mm-hmm. let this time pass me by. Mm-hmm. And that's also kind of the power of coaching of that yeah. can change something that, you know, in a year later, they might've regretted or oh, made a yeah. wrong choice. I didn't, didn't do this, didn't do that. So I don't know why yeah. that came to me, but yeah, people <laughs> spend so much time in the future and in the past, you know, that they often uh, fail to live well fail, but like, um, they miss out on what's happening right here, right now, you know, because really that's all we have in terms of experience. 
you know, if we project into the future and we start worrying or we start dreaming, you know, this can be both uh, positive and negative if we wanted to slap a label on it. Um, we can look at the past and reminisce, you know, um, uh, or we can look at the past and regret, mm. you know, but whatever we do, reminiscing is, is nice. It feels nice, you know, dreaming about a, a potential future. It's nice. But we, and it's useful as well, you know, when we think about mistakes we have made in the past and learn from them, when we dig into uh, how we became the person that we are now, you know, that's very valuable. Um, I'm not a, a fan of like promoting that we have to live in the now all the time. I, I don't think that's particularly useful, but it is all the experience that we have. So a lot of people are missing out because they beat themselves up about the past or they're worried about the future. And I think in coaching, what's important, what I see a lot of coaches do, they, um, it's so uh, tempting to jump in and offer these doors to open and say, have you considered this perspective? Have you considered that perspective? Oh, you should be thinking like that. Or here's a tool and an exercise that will help you. you know? And I think the more powerful, the more empowering coaching is actually reflecting back those things. It's like, it sounds to me like you spend a lot of time in the past and in the future, you know, and just having that in the room for them to make sense of that is already helpful. Oh, yeah. um, you know, mm -hmm. but like uh, asking some sort of follow-up question is like, is that how you want to live your life? You know, I'm, I'm not saying, you know, there might be an implication picked up as, oh, I sh my coach said I should be more present. But that's not what I'm getting at. I'm just like asking my clients how they want to live yeah, and how they want to navigate. Yeah, questioning it. Oh, mm -hmm. oh my God, we could talk for hours, but I want to touch on one little thing. I'm just conscious of the time. A little just, thing. <laughs> yeah. So let's like. Somehow I doubt that. Let's try to like. <laughs> let's try to like get it like you know because i think this will, this is something that like i've just you know i've discussed with so many people right now and with with my clients with my friends and and many people and i mean come on uncertainty and you mentioned that a little bit earlier i just mm -hmm. really want to touch on that we could kind of uh end this discussion before we go to my final little fun fun section at the end but like mm -hmm. uncertainty like would you have any any words tips anything at all for like the people well every one of us are dealing with uncertainty. Mm. We don't know when this pandemic is going to end and the uncertainty mm -hmm. affects all of us in our own ways. Mm -hmm. Would you have any, because I always love to give in, in these episodes, some sort of tangible tools or questions to ponder or something that could really help them to deal with this uncertainty a little bit better yeah. and also yeah. feel a little bit better so it would not <clears throat> paralyze them and they could just yeah. tap into that hope that it's going to be okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think the most fundamental thing and the first, like a really tangible and useful thing to do is to sit with it, you know, sit down with it and make, make some sort of assessment around whether this is the kind of uncertainty that I can make go away. You know, I can just eliminate the uncertainty by doing some research, doing some studying, gathering some information, you know, asking a question, having a difficult conversation. There's a lot of uncertainty in the world that doesn't need to be there. We can do something about that, you know, but then there's other uncertainty that we can never get rid of, which is the more existential uncertainty. You know, that is about things that are beyond our control. You know, what we can control what we think and what we do and how we behave, but we cannot exert any kind of control over things outside of that. So if we sit down, if we have that feeling, that eerie gut feeling of like, oh, this is uncomfortable and I don't like to feel that way, sit with it for a moment and ask yourself some questions about what is the source of that feeling, you know? And if it's about the uh, discomfort that comes with not wanting to bear uncertainty, because our natural instinct for people is to create certainty, you know, that's why we learn so much. We want to figure stuff out. Um, that's why, you know, we came a very long way as a species, you know, because we, we want to figure things out. We want to know how they work. We want to understand. Understanding is to get rid of uncertainty. So, but there's different ones. You know, there's certain things that maybe we cannot understand. You know, maybe we will never understand. And that's okay. You know, we can only grasp so much because we're human beings. We're limited in terms of what we can perceive, and with the kind of tools we can invent to study certain things, you know, and I don't want to tell people just relax, never follow your instinct to uh, your curiosity and never go and try to eliminate uncertainty. But there's some uncertainty that we'll just need to be with. We just need to learn how to be with it. And perhaps you can embrace it. 
you know, because life would be really, really, really boring if everything was certain and you knew everything. It would just be very unexciting. Um, you know, you don't read the last page of the book first. You don't want to know the outcome of the game. You know, life is exciting because we have uncertainty. So this is the part that can help me embrace when I'm feeling like that. But when I'm feeling like that, I'll try to sit with it and ask myself some questions about what is this about? Is this something I have to bear and perhaps to switch on the, maybe I can embrace it? Or is this something that is actually a really good sign from my mind and my body to say, you should be doing something about this. You know, that's, you know, you can read some books and not be uncertain anymore. Mm. Oh, that was so good. I like taking that in. I like that. And that's the thing about, and oh, I don't know. I, I would just want to sit with that. <laughs> you just sit with it. <laughs> sit with it. No, but that's the thing. Like, and um, maybe- silence, by the way, to, sorry to jump in. No worries. But people avoid silence a lot. You know, people avoid, many people avoid meditation or mindfulness for that reason. You know, they, they do guided stuff. They, they don't want to just sit with themselves. How many people say, I'm meditating on a regular basis, but actually it's still meditation when it's guided. But I think if you are into guided meditation and you're really enjoying it, the next natural step is to learn to just sit with yourself, to make mm-hmm. friends with yourself, to make friends with, uh, with the sensations that are coming up. And sometimes mindfulness and meditation gets a bad rap because somebody who suppressed something for 30 years sits with themselves and the stuff comes up, you know, because it's still there. And they're like, that doesn't feel comfortable. I thought meditation is a nice thing, you know. It's like it's showing you there's stuff that you want to deal with, you know, or at least stuff that maybe you just need to sit with. It's there. It's part of you. you if you keep pushing it down and suppressing it, it will come back and it will bite you in the ass one way or another, you know. And if you wait too long and you suppress it for too long, then it'll come out as some other kind of symptom, as a stomach ache that doesn't have a, a root cause in physiology. You know, it'll come up as a, as a back pain that, you know, and you're doing lots of exercise, you know, and then perhaps you need to go to years of psychoanalysis to figure out what that symptom is connected mm. to, that thing you suppressed for so long. Mm. You know, so that's why I'm such a fan of having those conversations, both with yourself and if you can afford it with a professional you know, invest in yourself, invest in that time where you can allow these things to surface. Sometimes existential coaching is a space where we just sit together and let those things emerge, you know, and uh, then we talk about them and it's useful. You can do that with yourself. You can learn to meditate in terms of just sitting with yourself. And when those things emerge, you just sit with them. And then after you come out of the meditation, maybe you do some follow-up. It's like, that was an interesting experience that I've had. There was an interesting feeling that came up. I didn't like it, but I'm curious. Where, mm. where does that come from? I have never felt like that before. I, f- I felt my life was great or, you know, I felt my life was shit. And all of a sudden I felt this joy. Where, mm. What is that about? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So really what I would call really being with yourself, connecting with yourself, tuning into yourself, asking mm-hmm. questions. What I would say, have a dialogue with yourself. You and yeah. I have had a really yeah. wonderful moving dialogue with the two of us, but like we have to have a dialogue within us as well. Uh-huh. You know, talking with that, you know, our inner being, our inner child. Yeah. Sometimes we need to have a chat with our inner child. Yeah. How we're doing? So I, I'm just going to leave it there. That was a really yeah. wonderful just, way. Just one thing: as we're like moving with our dialogue, <laughs> that self dialogue thing is is um, really interesting because uh, I talked to a colleague of mine, Monica Hanaway, the other day about. Uh, about existential dialogue, because I felt there's something, we both felt that was something that goes beyond coaching, that is a conversation. And dialogue as a conversation with a purpose, you know, we looked at what's out there around the topic of existential dialogue. And most most of the uh, things that were written about existential dialogue we found was a dialogue with yourself, you know? Interesting. Oh, I, I need to look into that. Uh-huh. <laughs> interesting oh yeah no but that's the thing we need to like we were meant to connect with each other like with other other beings but we we need to first of all you know learn to stay with ourselves i think that's a wonderful Mm -hmm. message to to end with and that's the thing like guys listeners my lovely community like like things are uncertain we don't know things for sure we don't we never know future for sure now we have this pandemic okay but we still don't know the future we never have we never will that hasn't changed 
like, and like Yannick said, like be in the present and like I would say, connect with yourself, spend time with yourself and whatever surfaces, whatever uncertainties you have, ask them, why is this here? And what is this here to show me? Because everything, like I say, happens for you. So asking those existential questions. So, oh my God, thank you, Yoni, for being here. But how can people connect with you? So like if they want to learn more about you, if they would be interested in having coaching with you or just to follow you on social, how can they find you? Yeah, so the main hub is my website, uh, existential.coach. Um, you'll find kind of the range of what I'm offering. Um, I've just launched a new version of the website for coaches, uh, which is called rocketsupervision.com. Um, and because about half of the people I work with are the coaches now, I love the generative effect. And I just really like coaches. They're just wonderfully curious yes. human beings with a strong intention to help and make a difference. Absolutely. So I'd love to support other coaches. Yeah. But the kind of leadership work, the mediation work, uh, the happiness workshops, and the coaching is on, on existential.coach. I have a YouTube channel. Um, just, you know, Google my name on YouTube, I guess. Um, and you'll find me on LinkedIn and a couple of other platforms. Just um, well, yeah. email me. 42 at existential.coach. I always love to hear from people. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Like you have an amazing chance to connect with an amazing human. This has been really a pleasure to talk with you. Mm. But oh, one thing I should mention, um, I, if, if we've talked about positive psychology a lot, um, I, do, I did create an online course, an introduction of positive psychology, particularly for coaches, but really for anybody who wants to learn more about positive psychology. And you'll find that under positivepsychology.training. That's amazing. Yeah. And that's the thing, like positive psychology, it's not just for coaches. That's something, it's all about well-being and character strengths. If you just want to learn, like we talked about, you want to ask those big questions and just get to know yourself more. I did a degree in positive psychology and it changed my life. I learned more about myself in a year and a half than I have probably before then. So thank you. It changed for my life too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and truly like positive psychology is something that can serve in so many ways. Okay. Thank you for sharing that um, resource. That's wonderful. But before we end this... The fun part. I'm so curious. Yeah, this is... in uncertainty. (laughs) Yes. So yeah, so basically the point of this is um, I'm just going to just give you just a few few, um, statements. They're very simple. Um, I like to keep them simple. And then you would just intuitively just take and finish the sentence for me, what you feel. Um, Cool. Let's do it. Yeah. So, okay. So the first one is... (laughs) Connection to me means. Oh. <laughs> um, try connect- to be short. <laughs> yeah, I'll try to be spontaneous. So connection to me means um, building an integration and um, a link between you, different parts of yourself, as well as you and other people. You know, it's the, it's the beginning of community. It's the beginning of a collective. And it's also impossible not to, given that human beings are social animals. It's the, the foundation of any kind of change is things need to connect and interact. Because we, we, even when they're different, particularly when they're different, you know, we always need an antithesis to our thesis to create some sort of synthesis. You know, we need others whether they're different or whether they're the same. It's easier to connect when you're the same, but actually when you look at physics, it needs to be different to connect, positive and negative connect. Mm-hmm. Magnets need to be differently um, uh, polled in order to connect. You know, Ooh. so, well, that's Ooh. lots of thoughts coming up. <laughs> <laughs> I know, that's why I was like, be short, because I know we could speak so long. Okay, second one is movement to me means. <laughs> um, movements, movement to me Movement to me means progress. Um, it mm-hmm. means uh, risk. Um, it means um, it, it means inevitability because we cannot not move. Even if we try to stay still, it's impossible to not have some kind of movement. We're on a planet that moves at about a thousand miles an hour. You know, so when we actually zoom out, we're not still, the planet moves and turns and rotates. There's always movement. Everything is movement. Yeah. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Never really thought about that. Thank you for that one too. (laughs) There you go. That's the whole point. I love to keep something maybe new to think about. Okay. So a couple more. Meaning in life for me looks like. (laughs) Uh, 
connection and movement. <laughs> <laughs> That's the right answer according to my books. <laughs> now, <laughs> for, for me, it means um, uh, living in accordance with your, with your values, with what's important to you, with your virtues and with your strength. If you are in line with what you believe is important, then you'll create meaning from that. Now, but meaning is always possible and meaning is inevitable if we allow ourselves to take charge of meaning. It's something that you create. Um, it's difficult to say whether there's inherent meaning in anything. That's something we would need to believe in um, rather than what we can have certainty about. It's a very subjective thing. Yeah. Ooh. Okay, final one. Choices to me are? Uh, choices to me are the, the most fundamental element of taking charge of your life. Um, you always have a choice and you can choose to choose or you can choose not to choose, but it's inevitable not to make choices. So as long as you take responsibility, allow yourself to take responsibility for the things you choose or choose not to choose, um, then you live a lot more real. You know, you, it's perhaps more difficult because it's easier to push choices away and say, I didn't have a choice. But we actually have a lot of responsibility for the things we do and we don't do. Oh, I love that. Thank you, Yannick, for today. This is this is going to serve so many. Thank you so much. I'm like, I have to like take this in as well. This has been super love. No, like I've enjoyed this conversation immensely. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you for creating the space and for, you know, working hard to put these things out to the people. Um, I, I really appreciate it. And um, I feel honored that you asked me and, you know, give me a great vibe. And I, I like the dialogue with you. Cool. <laughs> thank, thank you, you so much thank you okay guys there you go season finale i told you it's going to be a treat i told you so you know please share this episode if this served you if this hit you in the spot and if you feel you know there's someone in your life that can could use to hear you know yannick's words and the wisdom and the tips and things that we shared you know sharing is caring like i always say and you know the more we can share these dialogues, the more people it can help. And that's really my wish for, for everybody. So that's it for season one. We're going to be back soon with more moving stories, more moving dialogues. You know, I really want this podcast to feel like, you know, you're with us experiencing these conversations as naturally flow. We don't do that much planning when we do these conversations, by the way. So, cause I really love dialogue. I love conversation. And that's really the point of this is to just flow and move in dialogue and hope that they really touch your hearts and can help you live a better life and to help you like i always say to keep connecting and keep moving in your life thank you so much and i will see you very soon hello lovelies i just wanted to take a quick moment to say a huge thank you for listening to this episode of moving dialogues if you're wanting to support the growth of this podcast there is a donation link below so i can keep on bringing even more moving stories your way better than ever I thank you so much for your continuous support. It doesn't go unnoticed. I'll see you next time. Much love.